my message today is called The Pleasure of His Company. My text is Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 to verses 42. Well-known story of Mary and Martha. And let me just read the scripture to you. Now it happened as that they went into, he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. But Martha was distracted, listen to this, distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled, worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, we're all very familiar with the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they were the closest thing to a family that Jesus had. He clearly enjoyed being with the siblings, and which is why he kept on going back to Bethany over and over again to visit them. And on one of these occasions, as he was at the house of uh, Martha, Martha was busy serving, like so many charismatic Christians do today. Is there anything wrong with serving? Of course not, right? Is there anything wrong about uh, serving the Lord in the weekend services? Wonderful, right? But there comes a time in our lives when we need to stop running around and start listening to what He's got to say. There are times that, there are times that He wants us to stop being servants and start being sons and daughters. Amen. So Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's swooning over him, man. She's so in love with him. Uh, she loved Jesus. She adored Jesus. And she was the one who later on, uh, just before his crucifixion, uh, would pour a pound of expensive spike nut about a year's salary on his feet, just like this, man. And uh, used her hair to wipe his feet. And this is probably the most extravagant show of love in the entire Bible. And it was recorded for all eternity as a memorial for Mary's love for Jesus and anointing him for his burial. And Jesus said, whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, this story will be told. <laughs> wow, amazing. Now Martha is upset because Mary is sitting when she's supposed to be serving. I mean, who has got time to sit down when there's work to be done, bread to serve, tables to be set? So Martha complains to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. So all of a sudden, Martha goes from serving Jesus to telling him what to do. But Martha is not just irritated with Mary. Now she's even a little peeve at Jesus, right? So picture the room, all right? We've all been there before. The room uh, falls silent. You could hear a pin drop. The, the disciples all duck their eyes. Mary's blushing and things got a little awkward. You've been on that situation before? You know, you're not dinner table. Somebody says something really awkward. Everybody's, oh my goodness. Then Jesus begins to speak, and he speaks not to just Martha or Bethany, but to all the Marthas out there who think that serving is more important than worship. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you worried and troubled about many things. Can I suggest that this is the number one problem in the church today? Yep, you heard me. This is the number one problem because we all suffer from something called the Martha Syndrome. We're all worried and troubled about many things, and many things that we're worried about don't even concern us, man. The word for worry in the Greek is the word merinamau. It's an interesting word which means divide. It's revealing that when the Bible is trying to define the word worry, it talks about a divided mind. When you're worried, your mind is divided, and a man who is double-minded is unstable in all his ways. When you're worried about something, no matter how hard you try and focus, a piece of your mind keeps being drawn back to the things that you're worried about. Now, Martha was service-oriented. She was work-motivated. A multitasker. 
And she could juggle a few things at the same time. Multitasking is okay, but not when Jesus is speaking. And we've all been in situations where you're talking to someone and the person is looking at the phone and it's totally oblivious that you're saying something or pouring your heart on it. It just pees you, man. This is like, look, I'm, I'm here, hello. But Martha wasn't just worried. Jesus also said she was boarded. And the word boarded is an Anglo-Irish word meaning noise, right? When our lives get very crowded, it gets very noisy. And when it gets noisy, we get boarded, we get disturbed, we get perturbed. And then we go through this whole turbulence and our emotions are bouncing up and down, making us sometimes short-tempered and irritable. In the last two months, I've been a bit like, you know, short-tempered and irritable. And I had to find myself apologizing to several people. Then Jesus goes on to say, one thing is needed. One thing. Man, if you can distill the Christian life, this is the one thing, all right? How can I please Jesus? How can I please my master? One thing, just one thing, you stick to that and I guarantee you this, everything will pan out in your life. What's the one thing? Mary chose, has chosen the good part which will not be taken from her. Hallelujah. Woo! Now the English language doesn't do justice, all right? It's, uh, it's not a very strong language. Uh, there are two words for uh, the word uh, good in the Greek, all right? And these were the two words that Jesus could use. He could have used the word agathos and the word kalos. Kalos is inner beauty, all right? It's virtue. A good example of kalos would be a beautiful picture. It's look good, it looks good, but it's got no practical value. Kalos is like um, when you're walking on a street, you see a pornographic shop. You cross the road because you don't want to be tempted and you walk on the other direction. That's chaos. It's this virtue, right? But agathos is, is good works. And it's interesting that when Jesus said to Mary that Mary has chosen the good works, uh, the good part, the word good is agathos. And that's really ironical because the person who was doing nothing is credited with the good works. <laughs> it's amazing, right? And the person who's trying to walk all around trying to serve, she gets the, 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 the rebuke. <laughs> And Jesus said, you may look good, Martha, but your business won't produce the good works you're looking for. Mary has chosen the good part, and her fruit will remain. Come on. That's so good. Now, this whole message was precipitated uh, by a quote that I read this week by Catherine Kuhlman. Uh, she is a mighty prayer um, and healing evangelist. And she said this in something that really provoked me. She said, I pray all the time because I lim if I limit the Holy Spirit to a certain number of hours a day, I would be in danger of using Him for my purpose. If, for instance, I spend an hour a day in prayer, I would expect the Holy Spirit to reward me for that hour. I would begin to feel like it was that hour in prayer that caused the anointing in my meeting. No, I cannot use the Holy Spirit that way. I must practice the presence of God all the time. I, re I read this recently and I was on deep conviction of my own selfishness. I realized that I've been using the Holy Spirit. Every morning I set my time to pray, 4.45, I get up, I do my, my, set my duration in prayer. What do I pray for? I pray for increased favor, blessings, protection, provision, healing. Is there anything wrong with these things? No. But if that's all I pray, if then my prayer life is all about me and it's centered about my, in my very small little constricted world. How often have you and I just sat in the presence of God and said, God, I just, I'm seeking the pleasure of your company. How often have we just said to the Lord, Lord, all I want to do is I want to just hang out with you. Woo! How often have we just lingered in this presence like Mary or like David, just wanting to be there just for Him, not because of any agenda that we might have, just so that we could be with Him. And so I realized, man, I've been selfish. I've been self-absorbed and self-centered, and I suspect most of us have been the same. And for that, I, I had to apologize to the Lord. 
I think in my zeal to want to serve, I've become like Martha, and I've forgotten that I was created for His pleasure. I have to remind myself again and again that I'm first a son before I'm a servant. Amen. Now, if there's one thing that I've desired all my life, it's something called union. I often thought that this was impossible for me, that my life was sort of too broken, too fragmented, too complicated, maybe too unraveled for him to offer that to me, right? And he knows that I love him with every fiber of my being, but my heart is very wanton. It's dist easily distracted. I don't know about you, but when I pray in my room, I, I pace. I, I walk up and down and I walk, I walk to the shelf and I says, okay, I better put this book back. And walk to the shelf. I need to dust this. I walk to the shelf and I'm thinking about 25 different things while I'm trying to spend my time with him. Does that happen to you? I, I get so easily distracted. And, uh, and I just desire this sense of quietness and union with God. The mystics talk about this union with Christ. It's this mystical bond and this essential part of knowing the Lord. And you read books by Madame Guyon. And I want to encourage you to read some of these. You can get them at Faithful. So these, some of these classics. Brother Lawrence's famous book, The Practice of the Presence of God. These are all meditative books where they center on the person of Jesus Christ. They knew God in a way I realized I didn't. And uh, you know the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. You can read it in one day. It's very thin but takes a lifetime to practice. I've tried it again and I fail. I try it again and I fail. I'm not going to stop trying because I know that that's the key. Amen. Easy to find, hard to practice. It's a meditative practice of constantly talking to Him throughout the day. And I'm learning to do that. I'm learning to just say over small things, Lord, what do you think about this? What do you think about it? How do you feel about this? I'm learning how to communicate with Him as much as I can, trying to bring my mind to centralize my mind and focus my mind on the person of Jesus Christ because I just have too many distractions in my life throughout the day and I find myself drifting from His presence. You know, Bayes Pascal, the, the French mathematician said, all the unhappiness of men arises from one simple fact that they cannot sit quietly in their chamber. Wow, that's me, man. So distracted. But throughout the day, and I often wonder, how in the world am I ever going to practice the presence of God? And then the Lord spoke to Chris Berkland this year to me, and the Lord says, I tell my servant, I'm offering him union. Hallelujah. Shandara Bahandai. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 is uh, probably one of the most amazing promises of Scripture. It says, You shall keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God is not promising just peace to the man whose mind is stayed on him, mind is, whose mind is focused or centered on Jesus. He promises perfect peace. So I checked the concordance to the, on the word perfect, and the word is shalom. And I said, that's strange, because the word for peace is shalom. So it actually says, Shalom, shalom, peace, peace. And this double emphasis in the Hebrew language always serves to communicate intensity. Hallelujah. It's as if God is not just satisfied with opening one door of peace. He opens the double door of peace and He says to you, Shalom, shalom, if your mind is stayed on Him. Amen. Perfect peace is not just having His, his peace in us. It's being kept in His peace. It's not a defensive kind of peace. It's very aggressive. And that's why the Bible says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Amen. Not the God of war. Peace is, is, is uh, it's not just, uh, it's not just, it's not passive. It's very active. Hallelujah. I want to talk about peace one of these days because I'm telling you this, we all, it's so elusive today. And we have, as Christians have been offered not just peace with God, but peace of God. Hallelujah. Amen. 
And Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world give, give I unto thee. Amen. My kind of peace is not the world's peace. The world's peace is an absence of conflict. But God's peace, man, it's an abiding peace. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter uh, the turbulence all around you. You just have this deep-seated rest and peace and you say, everything's going to be okay. We all experience this sort of on-off sense of peace, but the man here is the man who has a peace that abides. His mind is stayed on thee. All right, this is the condition. This is the practice of the presence of God. Staying your mind uh, at all times requires the highest levels of, of, of focus and concentration. Like I said, I tried this many times. My mind likes to wander. It's very distracted. But the discipline here, I'm learning the discipline to keep my mind focused on Him. All right. All um, right. Union is what we're after. I, I believe everybody in Cornerstone should be, uh, I could say, uh, pursuing union. Uh, Chris Birkeland gave me a word at the start of the year. It was very interesting. He says, Pastor Young, your battle is not to fight with buildings and things like that. He says, your battle is to prepare my church to be a bridal company. And I, I, I want to be focused on this. You know, I want to, hallelujah, shandaraba. I know this is not one of the most exciting messages because... You know, every time after I preach over the weekend, every time, before I even step off the pulpit, all the messages are coming in on WhatsApp. Pastor, that was a great word. We are so encouraging. And this is the only message in the last two years that I have not received a certain me single message. And I know it's a good message. When people don't write to me, I know that I'm hitting something. Hallelujah. Right? Now, that doesn't mean you stop sending me messages. I, I'm just saying that... Uh, There are two words for separate, the word separate in the Old Testament that where we get the word holy, all right? Holy means separation. The first is the word nazar. And nazar means to set apart. It's a word that we commonly use to separate from something. Abstinence from food, abstinence from wine, abstinence from alcohol, abstinence from impurity, abstinence from the world. Uh, that's the word nazar, where we get the word nazarite or nazarite. And a Nazarite separates himself from the world, from a certain lifestyle, from a certain diet. But there's another word for the word separate. It's the word badal. And the word badal means to separate to God. Now, the word for holiness is not connected with naza. It's connected with badal. In other words, separating yourself from the world does not make you holy. That's why locking yourself in a monastery, separating yourself from the world, ain't gonna make you holy. I know there are values of... You know, these silent retreats. And maybe some of you should think about going. You know, six, seven days, no handphone, nothing. Just block yourself. Woo, hallelujah, some of us will die, man. <laughs> but that's not holiness. Holiness is, is not separating yourself with the world. It's being joined to God, the badal, amen. And that only comes when we're willing to totally identify with the cross and suffer like He did. That's union, man. That's what I want. And I, 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 I want to come to this place of union and I believe God's offering that to me and He's offering that to everybody here in this church. He wants us to come into this place of union and the word union is to know and the word know is not just that head knowledge, you know. Uh, it's it's an experiential knowledge where it's like a sexual kind of relationship, you know. And I, there's a connotation that Abraham knew his wife and he had a child. This sort of, this deep sense of knowing where you are intimately, intimately joined to the Lord. Hallelujah. I tell you, a crucified Lord deserves nothing short of a crucified bride. Amen. 
All right, I'm going to just look at one passage of Scripture and then I'll try to take this to landing. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 and 8, I think this is one of the most uh, significant passages of Scripture. It says, uh, Paul says, Whatever things were gained on me, these things I counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or what the King James says, dung, stronger word, that I may gain, or the King James Version says, win Christ. I like that word, win Christ. Paul, when he wrote this epistle, was incarcerated in a dark, dirty, smelly, dingy Roman dungeon, bleeding and in chains, uh, waiting his judgment. This is about six years before he met his own death. By now, he had written, to most, uh, uh, written most of his epistles. He had planted all the New Testament churches that we read about in the Bible. He had been perse severely persecuted for Christ's sake, beaten with rods, stone, and left to die, whipped 39 times, not once, not twice, but three times, probably suffered more than any other person apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, was taken up to the third heavens to see the glory of the coming kingdom, and he received the greatest revelations by far uh, that we read about in Scripture. And yet at this point, he cries out. He said, that I may win Christ. Well, what's going on here, man? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Winning Christ. Don't, how do you win Christ? Why would Paul, why would you, Paul, feel a need to win Christ at this stage of his life? Haven't you proven yourself to the Lord? Haven't you proven your total dedication and you loved him? And then in verse 10 and 11, Paul goes on to say, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. What are you talking about, Paul? Come on, what are you talking about? What do you mean you want to know him? Don't you already know him? Did he not appear to you on the road to Damascus? Did he not take you up into heaven? Did he not show you the glory of the coming kingdom? Now here's my feeble attempt to try and answer what I think is the key to winning him. I don't feel qualified to even attempt such a weighty issue, but here's my two cents, right? How many of you have ever been in love before? I mean, really in love, okay? The person you're in love with hasn't realized it yet. <clears throat> so you embark on this ambitious plan to win her love. You buy her flowers, you buy her chocolates, you buy her gifts, you take her out for a nice meal. What are you trying to do? You're trying to win her. You're trying to woo her. And I think by far that's the most, <laughs> I think for most of us, that's the most exciting part of the relationship, right? You know, it's kind of like, wow, so exciting. So you're attempting to woo her love, win her. You lose your appetite, you lose your sleep, you're in a daze, you toss and turn in bed because you're so smitten, you forget everything else because the only thing you're concerned is how do I win her love? You are in love and nothing else matters. Woo, hallelujah. That's a wonderful feeling. And the Apostle Paul came to a point in his life where he said, man, the only thing I want is to win his love. I'm so in love with him. I want to win his love. How do I win his love? How do I win his love? And Paul's entire life at this point, his ministry, his life was very purposeful existence, was focused on one thing and one thing alone. How do I win him? All else was rubbish to him. He said, I count all things as lost, count them as, as dumb. I met a pastor this week, uh, we had a lunch together, we had a great time. He said to me, some, some of the nicest words I've ever heard, he said, Pastor Young, you really changed. You're not the same person you was two years ago. I said to him, same with you. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you know, I, I cringe because in a few months, in a month's time, I'll be 62. And when I looked at the 50-year-old self that was me, 
I thought to myself, what an idiot that guy was, man. I remember when I was 50, I looked at my 40-year-old self of me and said, what an idiot that guy was. And then at a 30-year-old, I looked at my 20-year-old and I thought to myself, what an idiot that was. You know, we, we, as we, I think as we mature, as we grow in the Lord, we be, something changes in our lives, amen? We start being less harsh and more kind and more gentle and things start changing in our lives and things start, and people start recognizing the difference in your life and they come up to you and say, hey, Pastor Young, you're not like, the, you know, um, you're not like what you used to be. And I, I think that that's good. It, it shows the, the development of your spirit and we should constantly be growing, Amen. Now, I'm, I'm very afraid to tell people, look, if, I'm sorry if I offended you. If I have, please come uh, to me at the end of the service. I'm always afraid because a pastor actually said that one time and 500 people lined up. <laughs> I think the problem with us, we're trying to juggle so many balls at one time uh, and all God requires to do is one thing, one thing, right? So Paul says in verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended. In other words, hey guys, I've not arrived yet. Man, if Paul hadn't arrived, where does that leave us? But he says, this one thing I do, and that's exactly what Jesus said to Mary. Mary has chosen the good part, the one thing. And the problem is, like I say, we're all trying to do too many things. We need to start simplifying. Simplifying. Some of you need to stop doing a lot, cutting things from your life. Start simplifying focus on the one thing that will eventually win him. So for me, it's not the sermons I preach. That's not going to win him. It's not how much I give to the church. It's not how many meetings I attend. It's not about works. It's my pursuit of him. Hallelujah. My total dedication to him. The inner beauty of the spirit that attracts him to me. Hallelujah. Or me to him. I want to just take this to a landing by sharing with you three simple verses in the Song of Songs to show you the development of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The first is Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, My beloved is mine and I am his, and his banner over me is love. This description is uh, the early stages of our development in our relationship with Christ. At this stage, the believer is very possessive. She is very inward-looking. She, is, uh, she sees Christ, and I, I'm using the, the feminine pronoun, right? Uh, she sees Christ as someone who belongs to her. She sees the relationship as something that she can gain from. And we've all been there. We've all used the Lord. We've all used our master to further our own agendas. But as she matures, she comes to the next level of, uh, of uh, a relationship. And that is Song of Songs, chapter 6 and verse 3. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. In the second stage in our walk with Christ, the believer begins to realize that it is not Christ that belongs to her, but that she belongs to him. Come on. The order is reversed. My beloved is no longer mine. I am his. Hallelujah. There is a maturing of the relationship. And we begin to understand what really matters in life. There's still a degree of possessiveness. Still a degree of self. And then she comes to the final stage of a relationship with Christ. In Song of Songs, chapter 7 and verse 10, I am my beloved's and his desires towards me. At this stage in the relationship, she's become so selfless, so dead to this world, so pure, so delightful to Jesus that she has now become the object of his desire. Now he's pursuing us. Now he's so in love with us. Now he's following. He's pursuing us. Hallelujah. His desire is for us. Come on. It's not what we do with that attracts Him to us. It's the inner beauty of the Spirit is how we have allowed Him to change us. And if you read chapter 7 of Song of Solomon, it's the fact that the Shulamite was willing to do everything the Lord tells him to do and allowing the Holy Spirit to change her nature. 
and not run away from difficult experiences. And I tell you, most of us as Christians, we don't understand how God deals with us. The moment you got a problem in the job, I want to leave the job, I quit. The problem was there initiated by God so that you can change. Yeah. But what do we do as Christians? Oh, my boss is very nasty, I'm going to quit. Your boss is nasty because God put him there to change something in you. But we don't understand this. And so we leave the place of our assignment and you can never be the, the one, the man and the woman that God wants you to be. The beauty, the inner beauty is formed when you go through the difficult times. Come on. Come on. Am I speaking to some people here today? This is my 31st year in ministry. And not once in the 31st, not a single day of this 31 years have I ever thought to leave the ministry. Not once. Killing people, yeah, a couple of times. I never... <laughs> I'll tell you a story and I close with this. Philip Yancey, that, that interesting author, first visited the Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park. Old Faithful is the geyser, or geyser, geyser, which is a spring with an intermittent discharge of water that is ejected forcibly uh, through pressure. And it's very intimate, it's very interesting. It's a famous landmark in the Yellowstone National Park. Every year, hordes of tourists would go and they would surround the geyser with their cameras pointed at the famous hall. And a large digital clock stood by, uh, showing the countdown to the next eruption. Philip Yancey and his wife were in uh, in the uh, countdown in the dining room of the old Faithful Inn, overlooking the geyser. When the digital clock reached one minute, all the diners got off their tables. They were so excited. They went to the window. Cameras said, "Ready," uh, waiting to see the geyser erupt. And it was then that he noticed that a few, the, the whole crew of busboys and waiters were totally uninterested. They were refilling the waters and clearing the tables. And, uh, and then the geyser exploded and the tourists, wow, they oohed and aahed and they clicked on, on the cameras. They applauded, but not a single waiter bothered to look out through that huge window. And I think that describes our relationship with the one we call faithful. We've known him for so long, become so accustomed to him that we stop being impressed. We stop being amazed by him. I know a lot of people are like this. During the service, during the worship, whether they're all walking outside, talking to their friends, having a cup of coffee. And I'm not, those of you watching downstairs, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about another group of people. <laughs> you know, it's got a worship start. Okay, you know, just kind of like, I'm unimpressed with him. We lost the wonder of who he is. And um, it's interesting that the people in this story that lost the wonder was the kitchen people, just like Marta. My advice to you, get out of the kitchen once in a while, man. Slow down, stop, sit at his feet and stay there. And don't leave until he leaves. There's a scripture in the book of Songs that says, until he desires, until this, the, do not stir up love. In other words, you want to stir up love? You want to get into this thing? He says, make sure when, you, when he comes to you, that you don't leave until he leaves. Or else he's not going to be pleased with you. Because he comes to us and he's looking for this intimate relationship with us. We're going to close with a song. Uh, it's uh, fascinating how this song actually came about. Last night I was uh, sitting on my bed and I was meditating on this service. And I had this song going in my head, but I couldn't remember the song. I knew I wanted to sing this song by Lenny LeBlanc. 
And it was just flowing in my head. I was saying, oh God, what is that song? What is... I went through all my library of songs and tried to find the songs. I couldn't remember. And I'm just thinking, oh, what is that song? What is that song? And about 20 minutes, I'm thinking, what is that song? And I called Josiah's room. It's just opposite. Oh, by the way, that was great worship. Amen. And we have a very... I, I thought this worship leader is so handsome. Hallelujah. <laughs> So his room is just opposite my room. So I shouted. I said, hey, Josiah, come over. And he comes over and I said, what's the song? And the moment he, I said that, he said, he told me the name of the song. It was in his head while I was meditating, right? He just comes in and he tells me that this song is the one, the song I want to do tomorrow. And I said, my goodness, that's the very song that I'm thinking that there are 20 million Christian songs and we're singing of the same song. It's a, and, and this is the song we're going to sing for you. Now, I'm, I've been told by my, the service coordinator, Pastor don't sing. You're not allowed to sing on the stage, right? So the anointing will not be as strong, but it's okay. I understand this. <laughs> Let's all stand up. I'm going to ask that Josiah to do this. It's a beautiful song by Lenny LeBlanc as we worship, as we bow down before him. Oh, God. 
Father, I stand before you this uh, this morning and I pledge my love and my allegiance. You are the most important person in my life, Lord. And I love you with all my heart and my strength. I love you, Lord, with all every fiber of my being, Lord, I love you. And I pray, Father, that this will be the pursuit of the Cornerstone Community Church, Lord, that Jesus would be the centrality of all that we desire and pursue, God, that we will be a people that will love you, God, that the Apostle Paul found it six years before he died, cried out, Lord, that I may win Christ, that I may know him. Father, I pray that this will be our cry as well, God, that we will never lose the wonder of who you are. We will never lose the, the amazement, Lord, of who you are, God. Oh, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that every morning when we wake up, Lord, we will be in control with Jesus, Lord. Jesus will be the focal point of all that we do and, and say and, and, and think through the day, Lord. And He, we will fall in love with Him over and over again. And we know the longer we know Him, the sweeter He becomes. So, Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name, Father, let us fall back into that first love, Lord. The first time we remember when we fell in love with Jesus, Lord, when we got saved and born again, Lord. All we could think was Jesus. We loved Him with all our hearts in every moment of the day, even if it's 10, 20 minutes, Lord, we would go somewhere quiet and pray and say, God, I just love you. I want to be with you, God. Through the day, Lord, we were, we find ourselves running away so that we can just be in your presence, Lord. And I pray those same things will come back, Lord, that we will regain that first love, Lord, that all those feelings of passion and love for you, Lord, will bubble up and spring up again, Lord, that we would love you, Lord, with all our hearts. Hallelujah. But I know even Eventually, Lord, we love you because you first loved us, Lord. And that, Lord, the, 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 my beloved is not just mine. I am his, I am his, hallelujah. And may his desire be for every one of us, Lord. I just bless this congregation with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. The blessing of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise, hallelujah. Just listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.